0: Take your speed up your number one now, runway on like Green Dot. Welcome, nice Hello, and welcome back to another episode of EAA's Green Dot, a podcast for anyone and everyone who loves aviation. I'm one of your hosts. I'm Chris Henry, the Museum Programs Coordinator here. Uh, across the table from me is a cohort of mine.
1: Yep, Connor Madison, I'm the staff photographer
0: here. And uh running the uh, show behind the curtain's always is Scott Geezy uh, keeping us on track. So um thank you for for tuning in for another episode. Really awesome one today. Uh we are going to have some folks from a warmer climate than where we're at. It's 29 degrees here in Oshkosh, Wisconsin for anybody listening. That loves that kind of info. Uh, but coming out from the west is uh we have Steve Hinton and Jane Hinton from Plains of Fame. Um thank you guys so much for coming on today uh, and, and talking a bit about the collection out there.
2: Well, thanks, Chris. It's, I uh, we haven't talked to you in a while, so we're excited to, uh, hear, you know, be a part of it. Thanks for calling.
0: Oh, absolutely. You know, and for those who, who maybe don't know, uh, the whole history of the collection, can you tell us a little bit about how it got its start?
2: Well, um, <clears throat> Mr. Ed Maloney is a young man in World War II, you know, uh, was going through high school and college, uh, and uh, after the war, uh, you know, he's quite a historian and a model builder, um, and after the war, you know, airplanes, uh, Southern California is one of the you know, main uh, manufacturing area, uh, uh, parts of the country, and, uh, and he saw these aircraft uh, that were built and used in the war. They were just being uh, t- thrown in the corners and melted, cut up, and gone, you know, the history is going away. So every opportunity he had, he, uh, uh, tried to collect as much as he could. You know, he was a model builder as well. And, uh, and, uh, you know, the airplanes didn't have a lot of monetary value back then. You know, some of the airplanes he got uh, donated, some he, he paid for. And, uh, <clears throat> with his this collection, uh, got to a certain point, he, uh, um, uh, filed for a, uh, museum status, of. Uh, uh, nonprofit museum status in 1957. And uh, it was the first uh, aviation museum uh, with a nonprofit status other than, you know, in the United States, really. So uh, 1957, April of 57, I believe it was, it became incorporated and uh, it was known as the Air Museum. You know, there weren't any other museums around, really, some military things and whatever, but uh, that name uh, stuck with us until. Oh, the 2000s when um, uh, we officially uh, added uh, Planes of Fame Air Museum to it, just because as you know, there's a lot of museums around. But uh, Mr. Maloney, you know, uh, collected every airplane he could find, and uh, uh, I got involved with uh, being best friends with his son, Jim. Uh, we became friends in second grade, and uh, one thing led to another, and that's been my life work with, with the museum. So. Um, and uh, we had at one time, the, you know, more than 200 aircraft at one time. And uh, we haven't counted them in a long time, but we're, we're, we're down from that, obviously, because we've uh, slimmed our collection down to things we can handle and what we are able to uh, maintain. So, But we've still got a collection of, I would say, probably 130, 140 airplanes um, in various stages. Most of them there are assembled on display, but uh, we, we do have a lot in the storage as well.
0: That, uh, the storage yard uh, is almost its own museum. Uh, just, uh, it, it's just really special to go back there and see them kind of in a unpreserved state before y'all start as well.
2: <laughs> yeah, I know we go back there all the time. It's like, you know, how in the world did we ever get so much stuff? You know, that's the thing. <laughs> that, but, you know, and, and I tell you, like in my lifespan, you know, when, when I first started, uh, as a young man, uh, with the museum and uh, Jim and I doing stuff. I mean, the stuff was laying around there was, you know, a lot of stuff was rare, but I mean, this stuff was pretty uh, available, you know, engines and parts and you could almost find most everything you needed, but you know, you fast forward another 30, 40 years and, you know, you kick yourself for not, you know, trying to get more, you know, it just, the stuff isn't around like it used to be at all.
3: I don't know where we would put
2: more. Yeah. Well, that's true, but there's no doubt about it. In hindsight, though, there's certain things we wish we would have done more. I always tell that funny story to friends or whatever. You know, Kermit Weeks has been a longtime friend of ours, for instance, and he called me up one day back in the 80s. He said, hey, where are you guys getting your Allison engines? And at the time, there was places in Burbank that had, you know, 40 or 50 of them in the backyards. And. Here and there whatever and i, I remember telling them yeah we just bought one because we were rebuilding a p40 for flying tiger uh uh airlines at the time so that was i think 1980 i think is when that was and uh and we went over there and bought one for 2500 bucks oh, and it was wow. brand new in a wood crate and the wood crate was even real nice you know i mean it was <laughs> it was a beautiful engine and, and so i told carmen about it so Anyway, you know, like a couple years later, I wanted to buy another one. And I called him up. I said, can we get another one of those Allisons?" And I said, Oh no, no, this guy, this guy in Florida just, you know, had last year bought every one we had. It's like, God. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, now you couldn't buy the crate for $2,500.
2: <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. But, you know, even before that, when I was in high school, Jim and I. i here for a minute. Um, there was a company called McBrides and they were in Long Beach and they were a big, uh, scrap yard, so to speak. Well, they were, you know, surplus parts, but um, uh, you could buy an Allison for $500, 500 bucks, overhauled. You could buy an, a new one for 750 bucks, but an overhauled one, they just had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. And like they had a pile of R2800 uh, engine cylinders, you know, just a pile of them, 10 bucks each. And they're in cardboard boxes, brand new. I remember Jim and I, we, we went and robbed our life savings, everything we had, and we bought a P-40 prop and a couple cylinders and bought an Allison, and, you know, and, uh, you know, but the stuff was available. We didn't even think about, you know, we think, oh, I would, you know, if we need another one, we'll go, we'll get one. But uh, as it turned out, uh, you know, that stuff was scrapped out, I think, finally, in about 1973 or four, it was by then, you know, they literally were just melting Allison's down just for the silver, and... Yeah, hundreds and hundreds of them. You know, it's crazy.
0: Oh, that just that hurts to hear. <laughs> oh, I, yeah. I know. Uh, that's
2: the way it goes, though.
1: Yeah. So, Steve, for part, I guess, for people that maybe aren't aware, I, I think one of the really special parts about your museum and the collection there is you guys have a lot of flying airplanes that fly far, fairly often.
2: Um. Well, that's been, uh, you know, our 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 mo. You know. Uh, I always use the analogy is, as you know, you can go to the zoo and hear a lion roar, or you can go to the wax museum and see what a lion looks like. <laughs> and uh, that's kind of what uh, we've always thought that, uh, you know, if we could safely operate these planes, then, uh, you know, that's what we would do.
0: Is there, you know, I have to ask, and this is probably a tough one for you to answer, or maybe an easy one, but is there, is there one warbird that you fly that just stands out as your favorite, your favorite at one to go and, and fly around?
2: Well, well, yeah. You always have a favorite. I mean, it may not be the, it may not be your favorite, or it may not be the most exciting restoration uh, story or anything like that. But yeah, the F eighty six that's my favorite airplane of all time. Uh, that was what got me into airplanes when I was six years old. When my dad took me to the movies and saw the movie The Hunters, and uh, started building models after that. And then uh, then I ran into Jim Maloney and at school when the nun would leave the room, you know, you run to the chalkboard and draw airplanes and you know, this <laughs> kid over there could draw better airplanes than I could. So I had to kind of figure out who he was and it was Jim.
0: <laughs> That's amazing. That's so cool. Well, so, I mean, one of the big things we wanted to talk about is the expansion that you all have announced. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about it?
2: Well, um, like, like all things, uh, as time passes or whatever, you know, your expectations increase and in the, you know, we've been, uh, uh, since I've been involved, you know, the museum was at Claremont from 57 till 1960, and then went to Ontario Airport from 60 to 1970. And then in 1970, uh, we brought a lot of planes here to Chino, and then uh, a few airplanes went to, tried a a, a museum display at uh, Buena Park called uh, Planes of Fame, Cars of Stars. And uh, and, uh, then Seventy four, it was all combined here at Chino. We brought everything back, um, and we've always done what you know at the limit of, of uh, the finances available. We've got a lot of enthusiasm, and a lot of knowledge available to us all through the years, but you know the financial support has been difficult. And
3: um, well, and it's not just Chino too. We had the Valley Arizona facility for a long time, which has now been uh, close to the public. We still use it for storage and there's a restoration project. The A26 is being restored there currently. Um, but that the aircraft that are stored there and that's over 30,000 square foot hangar, um, are no longer essentially no longer on public display. So, um, the expansion came about because we wanted to get more of these aircraft, uh, viewable and available to the public. Um, and we also i mean steve can tell you better than i can uh that we've got planes kind of stuffed all over the place in containers or at random airports um and just getting more of those planes in a hangar and on display uh, and fulfilling our mission is kind yeah. of the goal here so
2: as time goes on you know the point is make it is that your resources evolve as well as the, the museum so it's uh, it's all based on what our abilities are you know of course everybody has I can remember 30 years ago drawing pictures of it, which boy, I sure wish we had this, wish we had that. But, uh, you know, we we one thing we've been able to do is uh, make sure that we don't uh, get ahead of ourselves with uh, getting into financial problems with loans and things like that. So, we're, being a museum, we've uh, understand who we are and what we're capable of. And so we, we've grown based on that as well. I mean, you know, if, if we had. More resources or more financial support, we would be different than we are today. But we've been able to. The idea is to perpetuate the just the collection, and not not just uh, you know, uh, you know. We've seen some museums uh, unfortunately run into problems after they made big expansions, and you know they've, they've gotten into big financial problems, and you know then the collection gets sacrificed. But uh, you know we're very aware of those problems so we're we're trying to be smart about it we've always tried to be smart about it just do what we're what we know we can do
0: well absolutely i mean uh, you're absolutely right i mean so it, it certainly sounds like you guys are uh, being smart can you tell us a little bit about where uh where you guys uh the expansion is going to be for folks that maybe are hearing about this for the first time yeah go ahead jane
3: um yeah so when we decided that we needed an expansion uh the question then became where to expand. And um, for a variety of reasons, we decided that expanding here at Chino um, was not going to be the best uh, path forward. So we looked at a list starting with every airport in the the U.S. and we started crossing uh, airports off the list for one reason or another snow or tornadoes or too far away from Chino or too far from a population base or the runway was too short. I mean, we had a whole list of, uh, deal breakers for, for various airports. So, um, we really, uh, came down to a shorter list in, um, kind of the Southwestern region. We went on many trips, uh, to scout out these various airports, Um, Went to Texas and Nevada, Arizona, Northern California, Oregon. I mean, you name it, we looked. And um, we met a lot of wonderful people. We received a lot of um, really interesting proposals along the way. Um, But ultimately, the proposal put forth by the Santa Maria Airport uh, was really enticing. And um, what was especially attractive about the airport was its, its close proximity. Ugh, sorry, <laughs> close proximity to the Chino airport. So um, rotating the flyable aircraft between the two locations and, and um, keeping both of the museums viable uh, was important to us. So um, it just seemed like the natural fit and um, it has uh, Santa Maria airport is located in, um, in between San Luis and or San Luis Obispo and Santa Barbara, um, along the California Central Coast, it has beautiful weather for most of the year. It's got two nice long runways, and um, it's just a really nice general aviation airport. Um, and there's a large enough population there that we feel like we'll be successful with our membership programs and the visitors that come back again and again, but it also is in an attractive tourist location. So we're hoping that a lot of visitors will come out, um, for the weekend and enjoy the central coast.
2: And, uh, the fact that, uh, you know, it's nice to be wanted because the, uh, community and the airport have been, uh, very forthcoming in uh, letting it known that they really want us to be there. So that we've been able to, uh, get a prime location on the airport and, uh, and with uh, some leasing terms that uh, are very attractive to us. So uh, with that, we went to some of our donors and uh, we were able to uh, get the ball rolling.
3: Just for reference, our location here at Chino is about nine acres total. And in San Maria, we've been um, given a lease of uh, almost 24 acres. So we've got a pretty substantial site that we could potentially develop, which is exciting.
0: Wow, that's fantastic. And you're absolutely right, you know, we couldn't have our show without the wonderful community here in Oshkosh. I mean, it's supported by the town and by the community and by the airport. That support really does make all the difference. I mean, that that you're absolutely right when you say it's good to be wanted and uh um, that that's amazing. That's that's amazing uh size too. That's fantastic.
1: That's good to hear. Uh you guys supported the the air show there that uh this past year, is that correct?
3: Yeah, the um Central Coast Airfest was uh established in 2018 and they had a second show in 2019 and then when the world fell apart uh you know they like everybody else canceled their air show um and so when it came back to life in 2022 um we were also uh you know wanting to put on a show but we were having some issues here at chino airport with parking and construction around the airport Um, And they said, well, why don't you join forces with us and create something special here? Um, And we did. We brought probably 16, 17 aircraft to the show. Um, So we had a good warbird presence there. And uh, the attendance in the show was twice what it had ever been before. So um, that was really successful partnership with the airport and the community and the existing volunteers and AirFest Council. It was it was really great to work with all of those folks. Um, and we haven't solidified everything uh, or finalized everything for 2023, but we're, we're currently in talks and trying to figure out um, how to make it happen again.
1: Well, that's fantastic to hear.
0: Wow. So, uh, man, that is going to be super cool. Um, I guess it, it kind of almost gives you two different uh, – Two different venues. You're going to need more vacation days to go out and enjoy the Plains of Fame uh, collection fully.
3: Absolutely, that's what we're hoping for.
0: <laughs> it's that's absolutely no problem. I, I as a visitor to your museum, I can tell you, there's a lot to see. You need more than a day already. Um, ah, that's that's fantastic. Now, and talking about your collection, you, you you talked about you know the importance of keeping them flying, and, and you know maybe we could touch on something. Uh, you know, briefly the. You know, you talked about the F-86 Sabre being your favorite. And recently, you know, you were inspired, you you mentioned you were inspired by a, a movie about the Korean War. And you know, your aircraft recently took part in in a movie that called to to, you know, called to the to present, you know, population the Korean War. Um, you know, what was it like flying uh, in in something like Devotion?
2: Um, well, you know, I've had a, uh, the opportunity to work in the motion picture business since the seventies. And I've worked a lot a lot of different movies, um, all kinds of different airplanes. Um, and it's always uh, exciting and it's always a challenge to, to uh, you know, work on a show and, and uh, but the uh, devotion was special because of the warbirds, for sure. I mean, we flew, uh, we had, we flew three Corsairs for the show and we flew a Skyraider, MiG-15, and two Bearcats and a Sea Fury; those are the airplanes we uh, we flew as uh, picture airplanes. And then uh, um, our director Kevin rosa Jr., who uh, you guys have met, and who's amazing, upcoming talent, uh, you know, uh, future for motion pictures. And he did Top Gun, and he's done lots and lots of stuff. But um, uh, he had an L-39 and a helicopter that we that was used, so we were able to fly these airplanes you know at their normal speeds and and uh the whole idea was to uh obviously to try to give uh, as much real flying uh as we could instead of cgi flying so we we um <clears throat> used a lot of our, our regular museum staff guys that uh, have worked on mo- movies before you know um, flying in movies is different than just airshow flying so there's you know a different uh commitment level uh skill level involved and uh, you like to fly with people that you're used to flying with um, and uh, we worked up in Wenatchee, Washington you know slash Korea in the winter so we were flying uh, literally <laughs> that snow wasn't CGI'd it was cold <laughs> <laughs> it was plenty cold and, and uh, we had a nice jet center there believe it or not a big empty hangar that was heated so that was uh, other than roll them outside and freeze them for a little while, it wasn't too bad. But uh, the, the second part of our Korean adventure was uh, down at Pasco, Washington, and it was an old Navy wood hangar. And that was a different story because the airplanes uh, we had in the hangar and we had uh, these these big, huge heaters with uh, hundreds of foot of ducting, uh, ducted heat with blankets. You know, when we get ready to fly, we'd have to heat them all up for a couple of hours before we could even turn the propellers through and uh but it all went really well we didn't have any mechanical problems at all we didn't have any people problems uh, uh it was during the COVID era and i uh with the uh, studio precautions that were taken or we were bound by rules and testing for the whole three and a half months of filming it, uh, went at wenatchee and then we went to savannah as well uh we had one day we lost because one of the the uh, family visitors of one of the crew members uh, had tested positive, but it just one day. So, uh, yeah, we overcame the odds. And uh, uh, down in Savannah was a lot nicer conditions and more comfortable. But uh, um, that's where most of the on the uh, that's where every everything uh, regarding uh, the airplanes on the carrier deck or you know, with the Bearcats and things like that, uh, that we did there. And then uh, which is just 90 miles to the West. And that's where they build a carrier deck there. Yeah. It was a great, it was really a great show. Uh, production staff was very professional and, uh, we didn't have any mechanical issues really at all. Uh, our, our crew kept the planes running and, uh, we all, uh, managed to fly everything without breaking anything. So, uh, we, were, we were, uh, pretty lucky. We had, uh, one of our guys that grew up around the museum here is a, uh, very talented artist. And he, uh, you know, came up with the, you know, the method for painting and cleaning all the airplanes when we we're done. And, uh, so really we didn't have any real, uh, regrets at all. It was a, a great experience. And, uh, I want to thank, uh, you know, the black label media who uh, really made it all happen with uh, you know uh, how they how they designed the uh, production schedule and all, and uh, I don't think we even had one complication really, very few weather delays even. So it was meant to be.
0: Well, we were really excited. Um, I I don't know if you uh, had heard about our Corsair, but uh, we found out our Corsair was a VF-32 uh, airplane and its its history. Yeah. And, uh, we had no idea. I, we, we, we had heard that it was on the USS Boxer and, uh, started doing some research cause we were doing a webinar and we found, we found a logbook that had been long, uh, misplaced, uh, sort of in, in, uh, in a storage area. And, uh, right then in there, it had, you know, names like Tom Hudner and stuff, uh, right in the logbook. So.
2: Yep. Yep.
0: Um,
2: well, Tom Hudner's son was there too. And he actually showed us his dad's logbook where he, he had made the log entry when Jesse Brown went down, and wow. so in his own handwriting, you know, that was that was interesting. Really, a great story, and the movie did pretty good. I, you know, you, you know, they didn't. Um, I don't think conveyed enough of the uh, what Jesse Brown went through um, to be a Navy pilot. You know, he came right from the cotton fields, basically. You know, to a Navy pilot. And Tom, that, that was a story. Tom was just the opposite. He came from a very upper class. Uh, family and uh, you know they touched the story a little bit, but I think that part was missed. But other than that, I thought, I thought it was pretty good. And if it didn't have such a uh, tragic ending, I think it would have done better in the movie studios, you know, or in, in the theaters. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's, it's it's a great movie, it really is. And you could really see the difference uh, it makes to not have CGI and have you know real warbirds on hand. I mean, there's you could tell that there are real aircraft there. Um, oh yeah, that's priceless. You know.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, And it's fun to work with all the guys. You know, when you're doing a movie, you get to do non-standard things legally. So, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, you do take a lot of precautions. You plan it out and you get the right people doing the right things, but it's still it's extremely exciting.
0: That is, that is super cool.
3: What's interesting to me is, you know, Steve said earlier that one of the things that inspired him to get into <clears throat> aviation was watching a movie that had these planes flying in it. And now he's doing the same thing. And I just... Some people ask us, you know, why do you do motion pictures or you know why fly these planes? But it's that right there is inspiring interest in aviation generation after generation. So it's a it's an important part of what we do.
2: And, and don't tell anybody, but we probably
0: do it for nothing. <laughs> 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 we'll de- we'll we'll delete that part out of the uh, out of the green yeah. dot. So you know
2: <laughs> you know flying the circles, you know that's fun too. But I mean, when you have a real mission to do a real accomplish something and. You know that that's that's when you you drop everything you're doing and you know that's the stuff that makes you smile. It makes me smile anyway. You know.
0: Well, when you think about it. I mean, yeah, like just like Jane said, how many? I, I think I had saw a figure that said that the last time that the uh, the Korean War was depicted uh, on the big screen in a flying roll was something like uh, like Bridges of Toko Ri or something like that. I, it, you know, not only did you bring this sp- specific story to a lot of people who maybe have never heard of it, you brought a conflict that a younger generation probably, you know, if they didn't, if they've never watched mash or something, they may have never even heard of the Korean war. Well, that's true. But
2: remember, we're just the tools. We're not the, uh, we're not the, uh, spark and the, you know, the storytellers, you know, uh, uh, you know, but we're just happy to be part of the big picture. Believe me. It's, uh, and so, yeah, I realize you know, that what we do is very special, but, uh, it's not about us, that's for sure.
0: Absolutely, it, it, uh, it, and that that that's very true. It's the stories that go with the aircraft and the people who were up there doing it. Absolutely. So we've gotten this far, but I I feel I also need to ask uh, uh, Jane, uh, Jane, how did you first get into all this?
3: Well, uh, probably the same way Karen Hinton got involved, <laughs> 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 you know, uh, through family. Uh, Connections. Um, I actually was on a totally different route in life. And I worked um, in the organic agricultural business, um, doing certifications and whatnot. Um, And I had a degree in business and I really um, didn't have a whole lot of interest in aviation or history. But um, I started... Dating a young man in college, and uh, he introduced me to um, aviation. And over the years, it just drew me in. And obviously, the um, the history is compelling, and the science and technology. I love the shop. One of my favorite location um, on the airport is the restoration hangars and whatnot. It looks like a movie set or like it's fake, but it's real, <laughs> and it's uh, it's a fun place to be, um, where you can really touch and see and feel it all um happening in front of you um and the mostly the thing that drew me in was the people the aviation community is uh, amazing it's some of the most welcoming uh people i've ever met and um so slowly i got more and more involved and then um we started looking at these various locations to try this expansion project and it was such a big thing um Steve was feeling at the time like the staff already had enough on their plate, so we kind of needed somebody to come in to help out with this special project. And uh, I raised my hand, and here I am. So um, it's been it's been a pleasure so far working with our volunteers and staff and board, and I look forward to continue doing it for years to come.
2: And she sells herself short because she's actually the lifeblood of this this expansion right now. Jane has got the uh, She's she's bringing us up to another level, so we're really, really happy that uh, she's excited about it, too.
3: I'll admit, it is a Herculean effort, (laughs) this project, but it's also a labor of love, so... (laughs)
0: Well, it's funny that you mention it because uh, in all the times I've met you, Jane, I've never actually asked you how you uh, ended up in all this. So <laughs> I'm like, oh, you know, it'd, it'd be a good opportunity to do that.
2: That was a long story. The short story was Midnight on the Soccer Field with Steve. Uh, <laughs> hey, whoa,
3: that sounds we – were, we were playing soccer. Yeah, that's fantastic. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, that was college days. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you get, you get drawn in. You can't be um, – there's uh, – the Plains of Fame has a magnetic force that, that pulls people in. So,
0: no, oh, it absolutely does. I mean, I, I've been out for the show, I've been out not during the show. Um, I grew up on the East Coast, so for me, it, it I, I equate it to something like going to an old Rhinebeck, uh, that was in my, my kind of area of the world. Uh, it's one of those things that you have to go to, you've got to get out there to see it. Um, you know, the people are out there. Are great. How many, of, you, you mentioned volunteers, um, you know, roughly, you know, h- how many of your, your, of your, your group out there is made up of volunteers?
3: Oh, the vast majority, uh, are, are volunteers. Uh, Steve's volunteer, for example. Um, we,
2: <laughs> we actually have a very small paid staff Yeah, yeah we have yeah, a, for, a, for the size of our
3: organization, really small. A bare bones crew. We've got about a dozen folks that work full-time or part-time. And then, Probably, I want to say about 120 active volunteers uh, for our museum operations. And then we bring in about 400 volunteers uh, for the annual air show. Um, And uh, we just have an incredible team. And obviously there's um, all kinds of different jobs that happen here by volunteers, aircraft uh, restoration, or we've got a whole motor crew crew that Yeah, motor crew that uh, supports our Sherman tank and all of our Jeeps and tugs and things like that. We've got um, (coughs) education volunteers that work with kids on the weekends and
1: archivists,
3: docent, our docent team. Great docents, yeah. Yeah. So there's all kinds of different opportunities for for people to get involved with the museum. Um, And quite literally, I don't think we could function without – those critical volunteers.
0: I hear you. <laughs> well,
2: the attitude here is always set by Ed Maloney back at the very beginning. Ed was welcoming and and enthusiastic, uh, and uh, you, you can't say enough great things about Ed. You know, and we really miss him. You know, he he, he uh, gave us more than just airplanes. You know, he's was uh, an amazing person. Mm-hmm.
0: Wow. Absolutely. Did, did, did he, did he work a lot on the aircraft or fly them, um, as well?
2: Yeah. Well, Ed, Ed was mainly a model builder and a historian mainly, but I mean, he worked on planes, but that wasn't his big, uh, draw. You know, he, he's just very, uh, connected, uh, historically to, you know, the veterans and, um, to, you know, the war stories, uh, um,
3: Ed's office was filled with papers, I mean, to the ceiling, full of research. Um, He he loved the histories. And so uh, he, although he might not have been out there with a wrench cranking on the weekends, he was definitely working on um, collecting those stories and researching our aircraft and figuring out where they came from and figuring out who flew them and all that. Um,
0: I always said, I always said he was out saving airplanes before it was cool.
3: Yeah, yes. <laughs> well, yeah,
2: but and he wasn't doing it for any reason other than, that, you know, that's what inspired him. It wasn't like, you know, it, like he started the museum, and but he could have got this stuff for himself, too. You know, he could have yeah. just, you know, did it. A lot of people did the same thing, but they sold airplanes for money and things. But, uh, you know, when it passed away, God bless him. But, you know, in his uh, uh, will, you know, everything was any airplanes that he owned. He owned several of them, but it donated right back to the lines of fame. You know, it it wasn't about the money. It was just about preserving the stories and preserving the history, the the honoring the veterans. And you know, I use the term "cool factor." (laughs) We just, uh, you know, and you guys know what that's like. I mean, it's uh, you don't have to be a a history buff to appreciate, uh, you know, a magnificently designed piece of machinery. I mean, wow! You know, where'd that come from? You know,
3: another thing with Ed Too is he was really behind people getting up close with the aircraft. I mean, you, you'll you come to the museum and a lot of times there won't be ropes around something and someone will go, oh, hey, why, why don't send that behind a, you know, velvet rope? And we're like, no, you, you can touch it. It's okay. And that that was part of it too, is he kind of set the tone mm-hmm. of, you know, this is meant to be up close and, um, and not behind some kind of barrier.
2: Yeah. Okay, occasionally we have issues, but Believe it or not, you know, 99% of people really do respect the stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, they, you know, know, walk around. Some airplanes, they don't want them touching, but uh, most of them, you can get right next to them. And, you know, there'll be drips on the ground with their oil on them or exhaust stripes down the side. And they're, like I say, they're living and breathing most of the time.
3: Obviously, we don't want people jumping up into the cockpit, but, you know. (laughs) Getting getting close is all right. So anyway, that was another Ed thing. I remember watching an interview with him.
0: No, you're, and you're absolutely right. Uh, if you've if you haven't been there and you go to the museum, uh, for the most part, there there's not a lot of ropes. I mean, you can get right up next to a to a P forty or a P thirty eight or something like that. And and for a lot of times, you know, for a lot of people, it's their first exposure to maybe an airplane that they've always wanted to see in person, and now they're there. They are standing right next to it.
1: Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't know if you guys can talk about it, but uh, what are what are some of the current projects uh, aircraft wise that you have going on at the museum?
2: Well, um, you know, really, the last couple of years with COVID at all COVID, COVID issue has, uh, you know, really affected us because uh, kind of halted a lot of the restoration uh, volunteers working on different projects, and we've uh, now that we're kind of getting back into it, it's more about uh, maintenance and uh, you know catching up with all the annual inspections.
3: Well, Corey O'Brien and his team. Yeah. Well,
2: also we we do have a group. Uh, uh, the P thirty nine that we have uh, that was graciously donated to us about thirty years ago by Dave Talashe it was a uh, recovered out of the South Pacific and has war history and anyway uh, got a, our group working on the P thirty nine to get it all back together in a good displayable condition um, but we're we're always I mean we got planes all apart you know all over the place uh, you know this is the off season right now so uh we're also doing some new checking out some new pilots we've got some of our guys that have been around a while that uh, are upgrading uh, gone from the t6 up there up in the p40 now we'll get them in the mustang and uh, and uh, some of the other airplanes too here over the next year or so um, so there's a lot a lot going on and then you know here here we're talking about going to santa maria so you know we're making drawings and making lists and We've got a, our huge parts yard that we're, we're we're trying to sort out how to deal with that uh, so we've, we've been organizing uh that at the moment and that's going to be a huge project in itself and uh and then we just got we just found out something really cool about santa maria is that uh, we've got uh, lucky lady 2 which is the kb-50 it was the first yeah. plane mm-hmm. and february 25th of uh, 47 and flew around the world nonstop. so it was a First plane in the whole world that ever flew around the world nonstop. And uh, we have that fuselage, that real airplane, that metal flew around the world nonstop. We come to find out that uh, the second pilot on the plane. um,
3: Arthur Neal.
2: Colonel Neal was, there were two pilots and a co-pilot and a crew of 13, uh, as part of a crew of 13 that did it. But uh, he was buried in Santa Maria. So we're thinking, wow, we've got a real connection to a real real piece of history, you know? Um, uh, so the B 50 we've been imagining how to, uh, display that properly. You know, we don't have the complete airplane, but we have, uh, enough of the airplane to make a, you know, a very historical display. So, you know, these are the kind of things that are just on the list of, uh, the many projects that, that keep us awake at night.
0: I have a friend who is a, uh, who is a B 50, an Enthusiast, so he's going to be through the roof because uh, he absolutely <laughs> yeah. loves your B fifty. So <laughs> that's that's super cool.
2: It, it well, tell, tell him to get his camper and get <laughs> out <of> here. <laughs> yeah,
0: I, I, yeah, I just might. Be careful what you wish for. <laughs> well, now' we're
2: serious. Yeah, this, that's going to happen. We're gonna. It'll be a display of some sort. We haven't decided to what. You know, we have a C ninety seven that we bought that we scrapped out, and, but we kept the wings and the tail because that's. Basically, that B-50 could stand on its landing gear on those wings because that's, you know, a C-97 was a, uh, you know, the, really a B-50 made into a, you know, that uh, big fuselage. So it's, uh, wow. you know, we have enough to make a, a pretty interesting display. It's just a matter of uh, time and money. So. Wow. And,
3: it, and now that we're looking at Santa Maria more closely, we're trying to find these stories, these connections between that location and our collection, um, and another one is the P 59, which is, um,
2: it was based there, America's first jet. It was the, the one we have was based there, and the P 38 we have actually was based there one the time too. Yeah,
0: oh wow, oh, that's fantastic. Our your core base, yeah. Wow, this is going to be a, a it, me and Connor are already planning our next road trip out there to see you guys. This is going to be super cool for anybody listening. Um, What's the best way to to, to support uh, the expansion, the museum, uh, anything they can do to get in, uh, you know, uh, to help support you guys? What would be a good way to do it?
3: Yeah, um, we have a website all about the project, pofsantamaria.org. And uh, there they can sign up for updates, uh, make donations, uh, you know, share the pages with their friends. We're just trying to get the word out to everyone um and through that site it it details you know specifics on how how people can um support or give Uh, but um at this point you know we're publicly announcing we're trying to tell everybody about it and and the response so far has been really great people are excited and um that's resulted in um people making gifts towards the project and we've raised seven and a half million of the 12 million uh, phase one goal. And right now we're running a um, million dollar matching campaign um, where if we raise a million, a very generous donor has um, offered to match that million. So we're hoping that folks will support us in that endeavor. Um, And yeah, we've come a long way, but we've got uh, a bit further to go to make this vision a reality.
0: Well, you guys are just doing amazing things out there. And uh, again, if you haven't been uh, to the Plains of Fame, um, you have to go out to uh, to definitely to Chino. The whole airport is just a uh, just a special treat to go out and visit. Got to go have something to eat at Flo's Diner and things like that. And then uh, I always wondered. I'm saying that, and you guys are probably like, "Oh no, not another lunch at flows or something." You know? <laughs> <Not> <laughs> but, we eat at flows
3: all the time.
0: <laughs> okay, good, good. And uh, but definitely, if you're if you're an aviation enthusiast or a history enthusiast, you got to go out there. Uh, really gracious people out at the Plains of Fame Museum, uh, doing great things. And now there's going to be an exciting expansion. Uh, another reason that even if you have already gone, you got to go back. You got to go to the expansion when it's open. Uh, it's going to be super cool. I can't wait. Got to see the B fifty. That's gonna be a really cool one.
3: Yeah. Well, we hope um, we can make it happen.
0: <laughs> well, we will at some level. It'll happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, absolutely. And and thank you guys for for coming on too and sharing some time. I I, I can only imagine how busy you both are, uh, but it's always really great to talk to you both. Well,
3: thank you for yeah, having us. Thank you guys, and
2: uh, you know, thanks for what you do too. You know, I mean, it's uh, you know, it's really appreciate everything you guys do all the time. So thank you.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, and for those who are listening, uh, really appreciate all your support, your feedback. Uh, thanks for always coming on and leaving us great uh, uh, comments and reviews on our podcast, uh, and again, for all those uh, who haven't been, this is a time to go out to Planes of Fame or show your support for Plains of Fame. Uh, again, great things and great people out there, and uh, look forward to having you all back here with us the next time you're cleared to land on the Green Dot.